Well, hello there. Thank you so much for joining me today on this edition of The Shalene Show. I'm your host, Shalene Johnson, and today we're talking about ADHD and my personal journey to be diagnosed and also a little bit about my childhood, my marriage, and how it's impacted my business and relationships. Thanks for tuning in. I feel weird like creating an episode all about me, but I think by doing so, it could really help you, and I hope it does. Let's get to it. Well, let's start at the beginning. My childhood. Let's face it, raising a kid who has ADHD can be challenging, and especially so for those of us who were raised at a time where, number one, we didn't know a lot about ADD or ADHD. And then when it did start to take hold in the mainstream, especially in the school systems where administrators and teachers were more aware of the signs and symptoms, they were particularly in tune with the way that it would manifest itself in boys and less so in girls. Girls are often misdiagnosed or not diagnosed because we tend to be people pleasers. Girls tend to find other things that they're really good at, which can just grab someone's attention. Like I was great at art. I was really, really good at art. I was a very communicative child. And so those things often would overshadow the other things that might otherwise get picked up for boys. So number one, we didn't think of girls as having ADHD also because boys, you know, their frustration and their racing thoughts, it would manifest itself in hyperactivity, where with That's not necessarily true with all girls. Now, some girls, yes. But for me personally, my thoughts would race. I might bounce my knee. I might bite my pencil. I might fidget and do things like that. But I wasn't like hyperactive in a traditional little boy kind of way. So for that reason, it got missed. But, you know, I think the expert on what I was like as a kid would probably have to be my mom. So let's give her a call and see what she has to say. Hi. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm okay. I got stung by uh, either a yellow jacket or a honeybee yesterday evening. Huh? Oh, no. Did you have so, your EpiPen with you? I sure did. We were waiting to see if I was going to have a bad reaction, and I didn't. Hmm. The doctor said that I would have a severe local reaction if I got stung by a, a bee, a honeybee. Mm-hmm. And if it was a yellow jacket, I might have an anaphylactic shock. So we were ready. I think it was a honeybee. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you a couple questions about what I was like as a child? Sure. Just say yes if I had these symptoms or no if I did not. Are we being recorded? Yes, we are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did I have a short attention span? Yes. Did I make careless mistakes? Yes, you made careless decisions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jumping off of bridges. <laughs> okay. We don't need to get into specifics, thank you. Was I able to stick to tedious or time-consuming tasks? I guess I don't really remember. Okay. Was I in constant movement? Oh, yes, constant, yes. Was I an excessive talker? Yes. Was I unable to wait for my turn to talk? Yes. (laughs) Did I interrupt conversations? Yes. Did I have little sense of danger? Yes, big time. (laughs) (laughs) Did I often act without thinking? Yes. You know, this is the funny thing is I'd love to be able to ask how my behaviors were different from my siblings, but both my siblings have ADHD. Maybe 
Janelle less than you and Billy for sure. Mm. But she was so quiet and introverted that, you know, there wasn't as many problems. Mm -hmm. I wasn't worried about her jumping off bridges. Mm. Yeah, that's Mm. true. She didn't have that risk-seeking element. No. Which is really interesting because that's another reason why girls are often, they don't get diagnosed because they might be quiet or shy or a people pleaser. And if a child has, especially a girl, has major people pleaser tendencies, they're going to make up for those things that will otherwise cover up ADHD or ADD. Like Janelle is way more forgetful, way more scatterbrained. I shouldn't say way more, but equally, I should say equally as forgetful, equally as scatterbrained, equally as, you know, she has all the same symptoms I do, but she wasn't interruptive. She wasn't talkative. She wasn't a risk taker. So she was probably even less likely to have been diagnosed as a child. No. And how many of these qualities did you think were just personality qualities because my father exhibits many of them? Oh, all of them. Yes. <laughs> yes, mm. right. Yes. So did that make it easier to have a child who did these things or children, I should say, that did these things? It made it easier to be aware of them. What about grades? You know, I always really struggled, especially with certain subjects. Did you worry about, because I never felt like you put any pressure on me to get good grades. And I'm wondering, what was your thinking there? Probably because your father and I were the very same. There were things that we were interested in and that we excelled in and others that were, we didn't like, uh, care. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think like, oh man, we better put more emphasis on grades so that she can get into college or did you not even worry about it? We weren't worried about it. Mm. With no. any of your kids? Because I always felt that Common sense was much better than getting an A in English. You know, I would rather see you be more well-rounded than worrying about those exceedingly important grades of A's. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Can you remember any of the comments that teachers made about me in school? Oh, yeah. When I would go to conferences, they would say, Oh my gosh, if Shaleen wasn't in this class, this class would be so boring. She keeps the <laughs> class interested. And then I would go to a conference for Janelle and they'd say, if it wasn't for the fact that all of her work was turned in and it was always A's on tests and all her homework turned in, which one is she? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you ever get negative reviews from teachers or negative report cards or in teacher conferences? Oh, do you remember that one time that you wrote that important about America? Yeah, it was an essay about freedoms. Yes, and the one teacher was not going to even submit it because he was, I don't know, he was angry with you or something. Mm -hmm. And then finally he said, oh, he said, I'm going to submit it. And then you won. It was like, wait a minute here. (laughs) Why was he holding back on this? Was that that English teacher that had like a beard and kind of like reddish hair? God, he hated me. Oh, yes, he did. He did not (laughs) want to submit that. And so when you won that, he was so over the top. He was probably pissed about it. But, you know, you did win it. It was a really good essay. And so you deserved to win it. And then you had to read it in front of all those legislators and state senator. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was a really important event. And you stood up and commanded the room. You took it over, and we were like, holy mackerel. I think it really made him mad that I could write so well, but I got such poor grades on his tests. Yeah, yeah. I remember him telling me that I was 
I needed to reel in, I don't know, my attention and that I just didn't apply myself, that I didn't care and that I was precocious and haughty. What is haughty? That's the first time I'd ever heard that word. And, you know, here I am an adult. And I remember being called that name like he did not like me. No. Bill, my brother, was tested for ADD, wasn't he? Yes. Why was he tested and why do you think I wasn't? I don't know. They just didn't think about girls as much having ADD Mm -hmm. back then. It was the boys, you Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. And so, yeah. And he was tested. And I said, well, he's not over the top. He's not off the wall ADD. And I'm not going to put him on any drugs. So he didn't take any medication for it? No, not Mm -hmm. then. When he was a child, I refused. And I had a lot of friends who had their kids on it. Yeah. It was kind of a thing for a little while there. I think it still is. I'm absolutely. Rather than teaching us how to cope with a kid that learns a different way. Do you have any advice for any listeners who might have a spouse who has off the charts ADHD? Any advice for coping and dealing with them? Yeah, you just don't push them to do anything. You kind of make them think it's their idea. But how do you keep them focused? Like, how do you keep them to show up on time? How do you keep them like, okay, here's what we need to do when he wants to do like 95 different things and he's got a million different business ideas. Like, how do you rein him in? Oh, my gosh. It is really, really difficult. (laughs) He has always got a new idea for a new business every other day. It drives me insane. All the things, I'm going to write a book. I'm like, don't you have 25 books you've already written in their own? (laughs) Shouldn't we at least get one of them published if that's what you want to (laughs) do? So would you say that one of the ways that you've been able to make this work is just having a sense of humor about it all, like, and also finding it a little bit interesting? Yeah, you have to have a sense of humor about it all. You really do. When there's so many good qualities that you have to think about, you have to focus on that. He's generous and caring and, you know, like if I was having a medical problem, he would do everything possible and make sure that I was okay and that we were were dealing with it. Because believe me, I've got friends who are dealing with a lot right now and I just feel so sorry for them. Because their spouse is not as engaged? Right. Yes. All right. Well, good stuff. Got some marriage advice in there too. Okay. Quick interruption. And I just want to thank those of you who understand how significant it is that we actually have show sponsors. Every once in a while, there's somebody who like writes a negative review, like, I don't like all the ads. I'm like, really? How do you think we pay for these podcasts? A lot of shows aren't as lucky as we are, where we've got like people who I can actually reach out to and say, hey, I use your product. Would you be willing to be a sponsor for the show? So I just want to say thank you to those of you who get it. You understand like this is how we make things work. And we're just really lucky that I get people who reach out every day and they want to run an ad on the show, but I'm like, I would never use that product. So thank you so much for those of you who do support our sponsors like My Soul CBD. My Soul CBD is the company that we use for CBD products for everybody in our family, including our dogs and including my father-in-law. CBD is remarkable. It just is. And I think it's really important for those of you who want to make sure you get a high quality CBD product that doesn't have any THC. Remember, it's the THC is the thing that can make you feel like you're high. CBD itself, the compounds are such that they basically help to recalibrate your central nervous system. That is why it can help with anxiety and stress. It can help with achiness. It can help with sleep. It can help other remedies that you're taking to be more effective. They pride themselves on having the highest quality CBD products. I love this company. Their products are gluten-free, 100% organic, 
third-party lab tested. And get this, I just did an interview with the CEO of CBD, and they third-party lab test the labs that third-party lab test their products. Like they have that much concern for the quality and the integrity of the products that they offer. Products that they offer, they have gummies, they have oil tinctures. You can just put a couple of droplets under your tongue. They have capsules if you'd rather do that. I personally take the dream capsules. Every single night I take two of them. We give the CBD gummies. I love those too, but I give those every single night to my father-in-law. We use now their new CBD products for pets. You can try My Soul CBD by going to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. Again, it's mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. That's where you'll automatically get 20% off at checkout. By doing so, you will be supporting the Shaleen Show and you will not be disappointed. All right, back to the show. So in terms of my childhood with ADHD, which by the way was undiagnosed, as I'm sure you picked up from that interview there with my mom, I never felt inadequate or inferior. I never felt like I was troubled child. I never felt like my parents were disappointed in me. And I think that has a great deal to do with the fact that my dad had the same kind of brain. And also my parents are super uber laid back. But I did feel that in school. I felt it with my teachers. I felt it with my coaches. And while nothing impacts a child's confidence the way their parents do, just let's get that straight. Even as positive as my parents were about freaking everything, it still did have a negative impact on the way I viewed my intelligence. I just remember struggling so much, not just in certain subjects, but when I had certain teachers, like certain teachers, the way that they taught, I just could not pay attention. And therefore, I could not retain any of the information. If it was a book that I didn't find interesting, I could read the same page over and over and over again, and I couldn't retain it. I couldn't understand complex problems if there was a lot of chaos or there was noise in the room or the way the teacher taught it. So I struggled and I compensated. I'm going to be very honest. Please cover your children's ears. I compensated by being very friendly and getting along with everybody and getting really good at asking people, hey, can I copy your notes? And literally copying other people's notes when it came to especially, I don't think I ever did a math paper. I just couldn't. And it would show up when it was time to take the test. So I might turn in my homework, but I had no idea what, I wasn't learning any of those things. And so when it would come time to take a test, I would do very, very poorly. And doing poorly on those tests then creates this anxiety where you think, oh my gosh, I'm a poor test taker, when actually probably wasn't so much a poor test taker as I was struggling as a student. So I wasn't going to do well on a test where you're testing the things that I never learned. Then you start forming these beliefs. I'm a poor test taker. So every time you go to take a test, you have these anxieties that build up and you start to overthink every single question. And then you're so worried about getting the question wrong that you take forever to take the test. And yeah, so I didn't get good grades. I did, did very poorly on most tests. And that does even despite the fact that I was constantly getting positive reinforcement from my parents, it still did a number on my my own belief about my intelligence until I went to college. It was in college that I realized, oh, I am really smart. I am smarter than the people in this room. I just don't do well on these tests. 
I don't do well on any type of quiz, but if we're in debate, which is what I experienced at Michigan State, I was in a smaller program, part of the pre-law James Madison program, and our classrooms were very small, like 15 to 20 students, and we would debate and we would talk about philosophy. And it was when we were in these small classroom settings where we would be able to debate other really brilliant students that I finally felt confirmation that, yes, I am really, really smart. I'm really, really intelligent. I'm just not great at taking tests. Then I joined the mock trial team, which is kind of like a debate team. We would compete against other schools who also had a mock trial team as if we were attorneys trying a case. And that was so fascinating to me that I could read pages and pages and pages of legal depositions, of law, and I found it fascinating and interesting, and I could remember every single word of it. And that's kind of when I realized, like, if it's something I'm fascinated by, I'm going to be good at it. So I just have to make sure that whatever it is I'm doing in life, I'm fascinated by it, and I know I will will be good at it, which is what led me to think that I might want to be an attorney. But all along throughout my childhood, the things that were always kind of devastating was not being able to show up any place on time, which my parents really didn't do either because my dad was late for everything and my mom would just go with the flow. So I never realized that it was a bad thing to be that way. I didn't learn the systems by which to organize myself, which I have in place now, in order to show up someplace on time. I didn't learn how to create systems of accountability or reminders or things that today make it much easier for me to manage my ADHD. If I had a child with ADHD, because right now I, I have employees who have ADHD and I have friends who have ADHD, and because I understand their brain, not only do I have a lot of patience and grace for them, I can also offer to them, hey, this worked for me, why don't you try this? And I don't take it as a personal offense. I don't hold it against them or judge them or think any less of them if they struggle with some of the things that I know are related to the way their brain organizes information. So it was in college that I started to develop those, I guess you could say, tools or resources or systems, methodologies to help me thrive. When I recognize, okay, I am intelligent, I've got to figure out a way to show up to places on time where I'm going to get fired. I have to figure out a way to remember these things or I'm going to let down the mock trial team. In order to put myself through college, I had to have a couple different jobs. I had a business selling cars. I was selling knives door to door and I was working as a paralegal. I waitressed. Like I did all the things in order to pay the bills, in order to pay for my tuition and pay for my car and pay for my apartment and all those things. And in order to do that and have ADHD wasn't easy. The way I managed to do it was because I was really motivated and that motivation drove me to keep testing and developing and experimenting with different ways to manage me. In my late 20s and my early 30s, I quickly realized that I could get further, I could accomplish more, and I could be more successful if I outsourced some of that management. So one of the very first hires that I made after hiring someone to help us keep our house organized was I hired someone to keep my life organized. I hired a personal assistant before I hired or outsourced anything else. I hired someone who would help me keep track of my appointments, help me schedule them, help me show up to them on time, help me keep track of my emails, help me keep track of my calendar dates. And to this day, that is a very important system in order for me to be successful as an entrepreneur. I have a team that helps me to organize everything. 
They schedule my appointments. They make sure that there's adequate buffer for me to daydream, to process, to think through things, to prepare before I have something that's important scheduled. We have a very bizarre system for our calendar that would drive anybody else crazy and it would never work in corporate America. Like it wouldn't work. I have to be the boss because anyone else would be like, "Mm, we're not putting up with this. As you know, I do not check my emails. I don't go in my inbox. I have an executive assistant who goes into my inbox, reads all of my emails, sends me a text asking, is this what you would like to say or what would you like to say in reply? And I reply via voice message. They respond to the, the email as me but it's my words, but I haven't written the email. Does that make sense? Because if I go in my inbox, I'm lost. Also, when it comes to my scheduled recordings or interviews, dates, etc., we have a whole system, a methodology for scheduling things so that I don't ever really know the real time that the thing is. And that would drive anyone else crazy, but it freaking works for me. So if you have ADHD, I think the most important thing you can do is not worry about the medication, not worry about the supplements, not worry about getting your diagnosis. Figure out what you need to do to organize your brain, to organize your life, and to set up systems that work for you. Because if you use someone else's system, it might be white noise. It is your responsibility to figure out the system that works, that will get your attention, because that's what it's all about. With those of us who have attention deficit disorder, we have to set up a way to grab our attention, to hold our attention. And that is our responsibility. It's no one else's. It's also why I think it was really to my benefit that I was never diagnosed until I was age 45. And here's why that happened. So I had done a really good job, if I do say so myself, of not just coping with my ADHD, but using it to my advantage, understanding where it was I struggled, setting up system to support me there, And then really using my, I think they're superpowers, like I see details other people do not see. Other people miss it entirely. I actually see systems. I see easier ways of doing almost everything. And I think that's part of my attention deficit. Like those are the things that I pay attention to. And so for me, it's been a superpower. I never have a shortage of ideas. I never have a shortage of mental energy. I am constantly daydreaming and thinking up new ways of doing things. And so those are all, in my humble opinion, those are advantages. And they're advantages that allowed me to become a multimillionaire in my 30s. However, I didn't know that I had ADHD. So I wasn't applying the same lifestyle practices that I should have that would have allowed my brain to function better. Instead, I was just trying to manage my behaviors instead of trying to improve my brain function. Okay, so what that looked like is I would start sleeping less and less and less to get more and more done. I was like, wow, I'm super organized. I've got this calendar. I can start scheduling things at 4.30 a.m. I can get my whole day organized, spend my afternoons with the kids, put the kids to bed, and then go back to my to-do list. And I would get more things done from like, you know, 8.30 until 12.30. And then I would wake up at 4.30. And I thought, well, I'm never tired. So I just must be one of those special people that doesn't need sleep. Little did I realize that by limiting my sleep in that way, I was making my ADHD much, much worse. I was doing a lot of things that were making my ADHD much worse. I wasn't sleeping right. I was over-exercising. I was letting that stress build and build and build. And all of those things affect your brain health. They affect your cortisol levels. They affect your hormones. They affect your 
gut health affect everything and all of that impacts your brain, most notably your sleep. So if I'm getting that little of sleep, that means I'm getting very little REM sleep. I'm getting very little deep wave sleep, which means that my brain is not going to process and store memories the way that it needs to. So not only am I working with an undiagnosed disability, but I'm making that disability worse because I don't know I have the disability. And if I knew I had the disability, would I have then been able to put some lifestyle practices into place? Yeah, I probably would have. So at age 45, when I interviewed Dr. Amen, kind of as a joke, I asked him, do you think I could have adult ADHD? I thought that that was something only kids had and you grew out of it. I didn't know. But I knew that I had these characteristics all my life. And so I kind of joked with him like, hey, so do you think maybe I've got adult ADHD? And he's like, yeah, yeah, actually I do. Why don't you come in and we'll scan your brain and go through a series of questionnaires and we'll do an assessment. And, you know, it was a three-day process. (laughs) And it was life-changing, absolutely life-changing. Not just to know that I had the diagnosis, but to understand how I could make immediate changes to my sleep, to my lifestyle practices that would give me a better brain. You know, like what types of exercises I partake in. Like today, one of the reasons why, if you follow me on Instagram, you know, I don't do kickboxing, like, you know, fake in the air kickboxing. Now I do real boxing where I'm actually making contact and working with a boxing coach because that trains my brain. That makes my synapses connect faster. It's knowing what supplements I need to take so that I have more brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's not just paying attention to my sleep. It's prioritizing it. It's looking at it every single day. It's changed the way that I prepare in the evenings. It's kind of changed everything, and it's allowed me to feel much sharper. And that brain fog that I used to think I was feeling and the frustrations that I would have before I had my diagnosis So many of those frustrations have lifted because I understand, oh, wow, I can set myself up for success. Whereas in the past, I didn't know what was going on. So I would just get frustrated with myself and I would try to discipline myself through it, if that makes sense. I would try to just focus harder, which doesn't work. Like I needed a completely different environment. And when you look at the blood flow of someone who has ADHD and someone who does not, like when I compare Brett's brain and my brain, By the way, if you go to my Instagram, okay, click on the highlights, there's a highlight that says ADHD. And under those highlights, you can see the difference in my brain scan versus Brett's brain scan when we were focusing. And just seeing those two scans, I wanted to cry because I felt so, I don't know what the word is, validated. That's the word. Like, see, I'm not crazy. See, this isn't about me making up excuses. This isn't about me trying to be annoying or passive aggressive, or this isn't about me being self-centered or not trying hard enough. This is how my brain works and I can't help it. So it's like telling somebody who doesn't have good vision, like, just focus harder. Well, that doesn't help. So my diagnosis was a very, even at this age, and my dad got his diagnosis at age 75, it's powerful. Knowledge is power, and especially if you do something with it. And so I have read, as you know, every book that I can find on ADHD. I have had many of the experts here on my show, and I enjoy helping those of you who either have ADD, ADHD, or a child or a spouse who does, or maybe it's you personally, to understand that there are strategies you can put in place that make it so much better. But thinking about your brain health is number one. Number two is being kind to yourself and understanding the disorder, that there are 
seven different types, although I know that's a controversial concept, but it just makes sense. Like, why are we trying to say that there's one type? Obviously, there's more than one type of ADHD. Obviously, if you meet somebody who has autism, there's more than one type of autism. There's a spectrum for almost every disorder, and there's certainly a spectrum for ADHD. In addition to that, it is also understanding that there are certain types that do better, will benefit from finding the right dosage and the right medication. I personally, at that time, because I would fall asleep at a stoplight, my general practitioner assumed that I had narcolepsy. So I was taking medication for narcolepsy. The Amen Clinic recommended that I do a sleep study. During the sleep study, they realized I didn't have a sleep disorder. I had a bad habit, a bad habit of not going to bed until very late and then waking up very, very early, not getting proper sleep, not getting enough REM sleep, not getting enough deep wave sleep. And therefore, if I sat idle for more than 30 seconds, yeah, I would fall asleep in less than 30 seconds. And that wasn't narcolepsy. That was poor habits. So right away, the Amen Clinic took me off the medicine, I forget what it was called, for narcolepsy. And then we started experimenting with different types of medication because of the type of ADD I have. Again, certain types of ADD medication might exacerbate your anxiety or depression. For some people, they experience symptoms and side effects from being on medication. I experience none, literally none. I don't have the dry mouth, the shakes, nothing. I take a low dosage of Adderall and I take supplements every single day that are specifically derived for brain health. And that really makes a huge difference in my cognition. When we travel, if I've ever forgotten my supplements, I don't know if it's placebo effect, but man, I feel it. Same is true of my medications. Like I do take it every single day. At first, I took a higher dose and I would take it just during the weekdays. And then I wouldn't take it on the weekends. And eventually I leveled it out where it's like I could take a lower dosage and I just take it every day to kind of maintain that level. It's a slow release. Is that what they call it? Or time released capsule. And I take it first thing in the morning and no side effects. I can fall asleep in less than four minutes as I can see on the stats on my aura ring. But it was also important for me to get that diagnosis because it really did help. It empowered me to be more aware of the systems that I need to be my best. Instead of apologizing to my staff that I am this way, I help them to understand how they can help me be better for them. Instead of apologizing to my husband and just like trying to, you know, fight my way into being whatever, to remembering certain things, instead we can work together and create systems where it doesn't drive him crazy but it's the system that I need in order to remember certain things. It's allowed us to have a deeper understanding of how our brains work differently and to respect each other. So oftentimes, like if I'm trying to have a conversation with Brett and he might be doing something on his phone, I stop talking. And that used to drive him crazy. He'd be like, finish your sentence. And I'd be like, well, but you're typing on your phone. He's like, I know, but I'm listening. Whereas with me, if he's talking to me and I'm typing on my phone. I'm like, I can't do two things at once. You know, can you wait? Now we just ask each other the simple question. Like, is this a good time? Do you want me to wait? And it's just that simple. Just asking like, do you want me to wait before I explain this? Or Brett will say, hey, I've got some really important things to go over with you. Let me know when I can have your undivided attention. And I'm not offended by that. I appreciate that. That's him saying like, go ahead, clear the things out. Even if I'm just sitting there looking like I'm daydreaming, 
He doesn't assume that he can just like say, hey, I want to talk to you about this, this, and this. He knows that my brain at that moment might be preoccupied. So he gives me the courtesy of saying, let me know when it's good for you because that makes it good for both of us. And it's so true of your kids. You know, the last thing I want to say is about that interview I did with my mom. If you've been listening to my show for any length of time, you know that. Like, I don't worry. I'm low key. There is no anxiety in my life. I mean, very, very rare do I worry about anything. I just don't worry. Almost everything can be figured out. Nothing is that big of a deal. And do you understand probably by listening to my mom and interviews I've done with both my mom and my dad, like how that really is a reflection of my childhood. I think you can hear, I can hear right now, by the way, I've inserted this after I interviewed my mom, but I just notice how low key both my parents were about everything. Like everything could be figured out. Nothing was that big of a deal. And man, what a blessing, what a privilege it was to have parents like that. And I hope that I've been able to be that kind of parent for my kids. And I I hope that you can be that kind of parent for your kids because anxiety is something we transfer to our kids. Even if you think you're quietly worrying or quietly being anxious, you are wrong. Your kids feel it. As long as we were all okay and we loved each other, everything else would work itself out. And little did I realize as a child that that attitude, that energy is what allowed me to thrive with ADHD. So if you have a child who has ADD, ADHD, or any type of neurodivergence, any type of learning disability, the more chill and low-key you can be, the better. Y'all need to stop stressing and worrying so much about like how they're going to turn out and how other people are going to perceive them and are they going to get good grades and are they going to get into the right college and what will people think and just chill. Everything is going to work itself out. The worst thing you can do is work yourself up. Lastly, remember that everyone who has ADHD or ADD is not identical. So something that I experience might not be something that you experience. And there are oftentimes traits that I, like, for example, the other day, Brett goes, do you realize that every single piece of clothes that you ever take off, they're always inside out? And I'm like, is that weird? And he said, I don't know. When I take my clothes off, they're not inside out. I'm like, I wonder if that's an ADHD thing. So I find myself sometimes doing peculiar things that they might just be peculiar things. And maybe it's not that peculiar. It's just different than the way Brett does it. So it might not have anything to do with ADHD. More so, we're just all different. And if we can accept that about each other instead of trying to change each other, instead of getting frustrated, and if we can work to see the gifts and the beauty and the value and to see the positive in each other, just makes things so much easier. If you have ADD or ADHD and you suspect that you do and you're dying to get a diagnosis, go ahead and get one. But just know this, the most important thing you can do is educate yourself. I've listed a bunch of books in our show notes that you can start with and there are great podcasts to listen to because the more you understand the brain, the more you'll understand how to manage your needs and that's what it's about. I get so frustrated when I get these messages from people in social media who are like, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Well, you you haven't tried everything because you haven't found something that works. You are going to find something that works. Stop throwing in the towel and just keep paying attention to what gets your attention, what holds your attention and develop systems around that. Whether it's, for example, me with my push journal, it has to be with me at all times. 
If you've trained yourself to keep your freaking phone with you, then you have the ability to do that. So you can do that with a push journal, or you can do that with a journal, or you can do that with an app. Like instead of giving up, recognize that you just haven't found the right system, the right methodology, and go back to the drawing board because you have to. It's no one else's responsibility. And parents, may I suggest that instead of calling your kids names or accidentally labeling them as the lazy one or the late one, don't give your kids labels. Please don't give your kids labels. Instead, recognize and admire and praise them for the things that they're really good at and see if you can't help them develop some of those systems because they don't know. They have no idea how to create those systems. That's not something we're born with. You've got to help facilitate that. You have to figure out like what grabs their attention. How many reminders do they need? And don't get frustrated if they need like six, they need an alarm that goes off on their phone. And you're also using an app called If This Then That. I love that. I use it like I should have mentioned that earlier in the episode. If This Then That has been a godsend for me because it sends me all kinds of different reminders and it's all automated and it comes directly to my phone. I freaking love it. But you've got to help them to develop those systems. And then if you're an adult, nobody else is responsible for this except you. You know, it's up to you now to figure these things out. And I've done quite a few episodes that I hope you'll find helpful in that regard. Brett has done a complete episode on how to live with peacefully, happily ever after. Someone who has ADHD will put a link to that in our show notes too. I think it's a great episode. I've heard from people who have said it saved their marriage. And just know this, everything's going to be okay. God made you perfectly, perfectly imperfect. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. If there's one thing that you've heard over and over again, it's this. Do what you do best, but then outsource or hire or consult or invest in other people who know what they do really well. But the same is true when it comes to growing your reach. If you need more eyeballs, if you need more people to know about that thing that you offer, that thing that you sell, that business that you are trying to grow, and you're trying to do that with social media, may I suggest the best deal on the internet? Yes. When it comes to Instagram, I want to invite you to check out Insta Club Hub. Myself and my son, my co-host, Barack Johnson, we're the founders of Insta Club Hub, and it is rocking people's worlds. We have clients who've seen over 3,000% growth in their Instagram reach in less than seven days. We have people with under 1,000 followers reaching 4 million on a reel. We've had people who've increased their visits to their website by over 300% in less than five days. It's pretty amazing the difference that can be made by just doing a few simple tweaks. It's a monthly membership. It's an amazing community. We teach live. You know, you hear us all the time on the show, but wouldn't you like to hang out with us live? We're pretty fun together, I gotta tell you. So I wanna invite you to go check it out yourself. Go to instaclubhub.com and learn how easy and affordable it is to work with your host, Brock and Shalene Johnson. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. 
And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.